the life of fulfillment doesn't come from the achievements themselves. It's, it's the other aspect. It's the other parts of life that with the achievements together is what brings us joy. Welcome to the Life Coach Baker Podcast. I'm Nicole Baker, life coach for perfectionists who want to set goals and actually follow through with them. I went to my first personal development seminar at the age of one. Yes, I was quite literally born into this industry. But by 15, I started to implement this mindset mumbo jumbo I'd heard so much about and it worked. As a recovering perfectionist myself, I've been able to set goals that are way out of my comfort zone and achieve them by doing things imperfectly, without self-judgment, and without the fear of their opinions. And now I help others to do the same. So if you are capital D done feeling like a hostage to this a-hole called perfectionism, then this show is for you. My goal is for you to leave each episode with tactical action steps that you can start to implement in your life now. I may be in my 20s. I may have the voice of a sassier Cinderella, but I've been doing this personal development-ish since I was a toddler. So let's dive in. What is up, my sweet friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Life Coach Baker podcast. Today is unbelievably special to me because we have my dad on the show. Now, for those of you who do not know, my dad is the original, the OG, if you will, life coach Baker. He's the reason I am in this field. He's the biggest inspiration to me. And for a while now, a few of you who know my story and my background, um, being literally born into the personal development world, you've heard me mention the OG life coach Baker several times. And a few of you reached out and said, like, you know, I want to hear more about this guy. Like, what's his story? What's his, what's the deal with him? And I talked to him and I was like, would you be interested in coming on the show? And he's amazing. And he was like, yeah, duh, of course. And he has such amazing things to say, not only regarding perfectionism, but regarding high, 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 high achievers. And we'll, I don't want to tease too much of the show. We talk about it deep, deep, deep in the episode. And it's just a really, really cool conversation, not only for me as daughter to hear, like, see my dad talk like this and like really have these more heady personal development conversations with him that I enjoy having so much, but to also see him really step in as coach is, is such a blast from the past because, um, for those of you who do not know, when I was in school, my dad, when I was in my like rock bottom, absolute rock bottom, I was told that because of my confidence, because of my perfectionism, because of how it was affecting my performance as a performer, I was a musical theater degree, um, I was basically being asked to leave the program. I was not able to graduate in the program I had worked my ass off to get into. It's one of the top programs in the country. And it was like my dream was being pulled out from the rug from under me because of the things I was telling myself, because of how much I was beating myself up and how I was like, if it's not perfect, don't bother opening your mouth to start singing. And as you can imagine, that didn't work so well at all. So after receiving this news, I called my dad and was like, look, I've been learning this personal development stuff my whole life. I would have to be 
like literally just like plugging my ears constantly if I was not absorbing this from such a young age. But while I knew it from attending the seminars, from listening to the books in the car, from hearing my dad coach and talk and prepare speeches and stuff like that, while I knew this stuff, I was not implementing it. I was not living it. And I basically told him, I need to do this or else my dream is gone. Now, of course, a beautiful new dream came out of this experience, and I'm very fortunate to be literally living it today. But he coached me relentlessly for months, and my entire life changed. Not only did I graduate, but I became a different person. I was more confident I was more myself. I was able to make mistakes and not let it mean the end of the world. I was able to let things be free and easy. And it was a completely different life experience for me. And so much of that, I would say like 95% of that is thanks to him and his teachings. And so it only felt right to have him come on the show and talk about his experience, not only being a master coach for Tony Robbins for many, many, many years, but also being one of the original, literally the original students of neuro-linguistic programming, which is now like the foundation of coaching. He learned it from literally the people who created it. It's kind of amazing. We get into that in the show. But really quickly, before we dive in, I want to do a quick reminder. First and foremost, we have a new podcast photo. If you can see it, I'm assuming you can because you opened this app. We're so excited. Patrick Nicely is the creator behind this beautiful graphic. I'm so incredibly happy with the work that him and I did together. Very, 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 very grateful. So woohoo, we did it. New podcast photo. And secondly, I have a new mini course out. It is called Unsubscribing from Perfectionism. And what it is, is it's literally you diving into your specific perfectionist type. That's right. There's different mini courses depending on which type you are. By the way, if you don't know what your type of perfectionism is, go take the free quiz. You can go to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash quiz to take the free quiz and figure out which one you are. But this course is a deep dive into your type, into what are the step-by-step exercises you need to do to overcome your type of perfectionism once and for all. And most importantly, how to make this a lifelong practice. I am never one to be like, I just want you to overcome this one thing and be boom, like you're done. No, personal development, personal growth, mental health, it is a lifelong journey. And so we talk about in the course how to make it unique and personal for you so that it's sustainable. This course is probably one of my favorite things I've ever made in my life. I've been receiving great feedback from you all who have gotten it. Thank you so much. And my favorite part, it's $7. Each of the courses are $7. So if you're the overachiever, great. You get your course, it's $7. Now, if you're like me and you like to dabble into each type of perfectionism from time to time, I also have a bonus package. If you want to get all three together for a discounted price, it's 19 bucks. And to be honest, I have received the best, most amazing 
stories from my clients and from people who have done the package because it's such a more well-rounded experience. So to each your own, it is whichever you want. Honestly, any step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. But I'm so happy that you guys have been loving those courses. If you have not checked them out yet, you can learn more at lifecoachbaker.com forward slash perfectionism. You can see the breakdown for each course in there. And you can also get them from that link. So check them out. I'm so happy with the things that you guys are doing with them. It's really, really cool. And if you don't know what your type is, you can always start with the quiz by going to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash quiz. All right, y'all. Before we dive into the formal conversation with my daddy-o, I want to give you all a little bit of background about him and his, well, background. Dr. Bill Baker has spent four decades committed to helping people and organizations create changes that will ultimately lead them to reach their goals. His personal mission is to have as much fun as possible while making dreams come true. We talk about that a lot in the episode. Dr. Baker primarily worked as a master results coach and business results trainer with Robbins Research International, an organization he has been associated with since 1986. In this position, he worked with business leaders and teams to identify what they wanted more out of life or in their business and help them stretch themselves in order to reach their goals. He began his career as a therapist and college professor, and in the late 1970s, he began studying neurolinguistic programming with the founders, John Grinder and Richard Bandler, and was intrigued with the principles and practices of NLP. In 1986, he began working with Tony Robbins and led outdoor activities at those programs to help people overcome their challenges and limitations to achieve more out of their lives. Dr. Baker earned his doctorate of education in applied behavioral studies, which basically describes how and why people do and behave the way they do. He currently lives outside of Boulder, Colorado with his wife of 31 years, I think it's more now, and he can frequently be seen running along the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, retired and happy for all. Everyone, without further ado, let's dive into the episode with the original, the original OG life coach, Baker. I've been racking my brain all morning to figure out what I want to call you on this. I've been like, should I go Dr. Baker? Should I go with Billy Dean? I don't even know which one should I go. So I'm going to go with dad or OG life coach Baker. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. This is a really special treat. And I'll talk about this more in the intro because not only are you obviously my father, but you've been the directing force and the, the educational factor of most of my personal development education. And I want to start the podcast off by going way back (laughs) to really and truly when you started personal development in the seventies, when personal growth and development was not exactly a popular topic, what got you into this field? How did you get started here? Wow. I had an opportunity to go back to graduate school after getting a business degree, general business administration degree. And through some help with a counselor, was selected going into the field of counseling and got a master's degree in counseling. And then I've got my doctorate in applied behavioral studies, which is kind of a cross between educational psychology and counseling psychology. And 
through those years had the opportunity to begin not only pursuing my <clears throat> my own personal growth through um, inner work on myself and with the help of, of a, a therapist, but also had the opportunity to begin serving others in that same uh, role as their therapist and, and counselor. And that's what really got me excited about not only my own personal growth, but in serving others mm -hmm. in, in pursuing their growth internally, psychology wise, mentally, emotionally, the whole, the whole ball of wax. <laughs> what made you switch from the more counseling therapeutic side of it to the personal growth and development? Because obviously you and I both know there's so much crossover, but they are two entirely different enchiladas. Yeah. And what made you go from, you know, therapy is awesome. It's great, but it's not for me. I want to do this instead. I, I was employed as a um, professional counselor and in the um, psychological services center at Oklahoma State University. And we're talking early, mid 80s, 1980s. And my mentors began studying with Richard Bandler and John Grinder, the founders of Neuro Linguistic Programming. And yeah, I, I had the opportunity to follow these mentors in the study with um, the founders of Neuro Linguistic Programming, John Grinder and Richard Bandler. And we really traveled- just for just for listeners, can you give a little background on what is neurolinguistic programming? In sure. They don't know. If if you think of the word neurolinguistic programming, it's how we use both external and internal language in our own minds and in what we broadcast to others as a way to program or direct our mind and emotions in how we perceive the world. And so that, it, and, and the idea is by changing that programming, changing the way we uh, perceive and interpret the world through language, internal and external, we change our experience of the world. We change our experience of, of ourselves and how we relate to others and the whole the whole gamut of human behavior. Yeah. So it was through that work, um, and, and it's called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. It's through that work that I not only pursued how I can enhance my own ability to um, interact within my world, it also allowed me some tools to shortcut the growth process in working with others in um, helping them interact more efficiently, more beneficially to them in their world. My academic training was a very Rogerian based on Carl Rogers uh, approach to therapy. And that's the 
how do you feel and how do you feel about feeling that way kind of stuff. Okay. For listeners, and, I want everyone to just pause for a second. For listeners, my dad literally just stopped, got all rigid, finger air quotes, therapy. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, no yeah. shots of therapy. It's very effective. I, <laughs> I have, I still have some biases about that style of, of work. And, um, if you look at it in practice, it takes an extremely long time to be able to, typically to be able to help people achieve the kind of changes they want in your life. And the beauty of the work with NLP is it cut that amount of time tremendously. And um, to be able to assist in the creation of changes and witness those changes within sessions was was phenomenal and and so it you know a lot of the beliefs and the principles and the practices of NLP have followed me throughout the rest of my professional life so uh, I'm sorry I forgot where we started with the question but I hope that gave you some idea of what what uh, got me started in this whole arena of both my own personal growth and serving others in that same area No, that's a 10 out of 10. That answers the question. My follow-up, however, is where I I want listeners to really understand your career in personal development and how Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Frank because I'm your daughter and I get to how big of a fucking deal you are (laughs) and like really getting to getting to know that. So can you give everyone like a little bit of a highlight? What happened you graduated, you got NLP certified from, I, I really want to highlight the founders of NLP. You were some of like the first batch. That's kind of cool. It's like really cool. I, I was, I was among the first batch. Um, you, you know, I, I had the opportunity to attend the very first uh, intensive NLP training. It was back in 1979 out in the coast of, of California. And it was 10, 12 days. It was, like like it says, it was pretty intense. And we didn't know what a big deal it was at that point. You know, looking back with with now the, the luxury of history on our side, it was groundbreaking. It was like major big deal, you know? It, it was huge. Yeah. <laughs> but but to put this into a perspective, let me give you my my professional vision at that time because it was so different from where I've ultimately become. I wanted to be a college administrator. I wanted to be the dean of students or vice president of student services. That was that was where I was headed. And and this exposure to neurolinguistic programming and and this. Um, this work inside myself really shifted what I wanted to do and and took me away from the more administrative path that I was on to something more of serving others in, in helping them change the, the course of their lives. So, so I want to do a general overview of where you went from there, because it didn't stop at, becoming one of the first people to learn NLP, you went on to work with and do some really cool things for yeah. some of the coolest people in the world, right? Well, okay. I'm, I'm trying to think how deep to go into this. 
Um, after getting exposed to neurolinguistic programming, I had an opportunity to um, spend several days with a gentleman who was the model for a lot of the foundations that NLP was based on. And his name was Dr. Milton Erickson, a world famous hypnotherapist at that time, um, psychiatrist, hypnotherapist. And simultaneously, my um, future business partner, my mentor at that time, Terry Henderson, and I began working with an, uh, uh, an area that was a, a crossover between outdoor adventure and personal growth. And that's something at that point we called the ropes course or an obstacle course. It's now called the challenge course. And for those uh, listeners who don't know what a ropes course challenge course is, think of it this way. It's a cross between an outdoor gymnastics course and obstacle course. Mm. You're climbing and uh, up ropes and crossing cables and logs and jumping for trapezes in a way that truly brings out a, a, a totally, well, you're, you're operating in a totally different environment and it challenges that programming, back to NLP, that programming we've given ourselves up to that point in time to be able to achieve the certain obstacle, it required a whole different kind of thinking. So it was really cool and it was really quick and it was a lot of fun, <laughs> which, which then through that work, and we were some of the first that were using this in the... Uh, in, in the field of therapy or, or personal growth, um, again, back in the mid-80s, this is when this was, was, was started, and somewhere along the line, and I've lost track of the years, it would have been 86, 87, 88, somewhere in that neighborhood, this business partner of, of mine, Terry Henderson, and I got approached by um, the business manager for Tony Robbins, you know, the, the firewalk guy, the, the fellow who at that time was one of the up and coming names in the whole personal growth field. Mm -hmm. And we were asked if we could bring one aspect of this ropes course to his programs to really help solidify the idea that change can happen real quick. And we proposed this 50 foot tall power pole where you get wrapped up into a full body harness like you'd be wearing if you were jumping out of an airplane. You've got a rope attached in this loop right behind your shoulders. You climb up a 50 foot telephone pole and without anything to hang on to, you stand on top of it, which in and of itself is a tremendous challenge. It's not like the size and, of like a dinner plate or something. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. small. Yeah, it's about eight inches in diameter, and and then six feet in front of you, about chest high, is this trapeze suspended by some other cables, and with your safety rope attached, you jump out and try to catch the trapeze, and. That's what we did with Tony Robbins and his programs. We had the opportunity to do that with him for 
about 16 years. Yeah. And it was, you know, to, to see the literally thousands of people go through that experience and, um, and to hear the kind of changes that it created in their lives, whether they were on the ground supporting the person who was climbing or they were the person who was up there trying to figure out how the hell do I get my foot up on top of this pole and there's no place. What do I hang on to? And all all that kind of stuff. It was, it was exciting. It, It was so fulfilling to be a part of that. So back to how, you know, the, 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 the early, the, pardon me, the mid eighties is when that part got started. And if you will, that put this whole trajectory of being involved in the personal development world. Uh, it, it, it put it on steroids. It really did. It, it just, it, it sent it off in a direction. Yeah. I had no idea that it was going to go. I want to, unpack the ropes course real quick. Cause this is probably the most, one of the most memorable areas of personal development for me as a kid was uh, my older sister, Lexi, us two climbing these poles and like looking down and seeing these adults on the ground being like, there's a two-year-old up there. Like if they can do it, I can do it. Like, I just, I remember yeah. that so vividly. What would you say were some of the most common fears or blocks that people would overcome at the ropes course that I'm assuming had nothing to do with the ropes course itself. It had everything to do with internal. Maybe yeah. I'm mistaken. No. <clears throat> I, I, if, if I could put it into one, it would be, I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I did it anyway. Perfectionist. Burr, 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 burr. That's kind of the name of the game. That's beautiful. Ooh. Ooh, now, good. you know, we, they, they were on a safety rope. There was, there was a, um, if they didn't make it, it wasn't life and death. No. Um, what it really boils down to is the, the principle that if what you're doing doesn't work, try something else. Mm. I mean, it's that simple. You know, I see this all the time in my coaching and I'm, I'm, we're getting to your coaching as well, but I see this idea that, uh, from clients or people I do discovery calls with, or even people in this podcast community, it's this idea of if I choose something, that's how it is for the rest of my life. It is permanent. And it's like, and when I, when I always kind of dissect that with them, they have this moment of like, Oh, duh. Like, of course it's not permanent. Of course I could change it. Of course I could try something different. I'm scrappy. I can figure it out. But when we're in the moment and that limiting belief or that fear brain or survival brain is kicking in, it doesn't see it. It just sees like, this is how it is. And if it, if you do it great. And if you're not, you die. Like it's so black and white. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, in my mind, what you're describing is what we have, have termed sensory acuity, Mm -hmm. the ability that we have um, to recognize is what I'm doing working? Is it giving me the outcome that I'm after? And you know the 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 most interesting uh, ex- exhibition of what I'm describing wasn't always the person on the pole, but it was the people on the ground who were cheering and coaching that person because 
I would watch them and they're doing the same damn thing. And this person has got both arms, both legs wrapped around the pole, not budging. And I just simply walk up to him and say, hmm, is it getting you the outcome you want? Yeah. Are they moving? Are they climbing the pole? Are they going up? Are they going down? Are they doing anything different? And if they were honest, they'd say, no, not really. And it's like, well, do you think it might be time to try something different? But to be able to, whether you're in the, in the process of doing it, or whether you're the, the coach, the support person, the resource person of someone else in the middle of it, to be able to observe, are they moving in the direction they want to be headed? And if they're not, then God damn it, do something different. Yeah. And it's so funny because when we think about it, it's so simple. It's so logical. But when we're in the moment, unless you have someone or very strong sensory acuity, unless you have someone to kind of be like, hello, you're in a self-sabotaging pattern. Let's look at something different. Like it's so hard to get yourself out of it because you're so in the zone and you think this is the only way. That's why having a coach or mentor is really good. Absolutely. (laughs) Speaking of coaching, you didn't just stop at the ropes course. You came, you became master coach was your, was your title, right? Which is totally badass. Um, what was your, what was your role into getting into master coaching? How was that in the trajectory of your personal development life? What was that like? Yeah, (laughs) well, like most things in my life, it wasn't planned. Okay. (laughs) Um, let me take you back to 2001. In the months immediately following the 9-11-2001 issues, corporate USA went into a major decline. Yeah. My work, I, I was working as a, 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 as a consultant and trainer at that point. And um, in the nine months immediately following 9-11, because of corporate cutbacks and and different things, I lost about 75 to 80% of my income and began looking for how do I go about supplementing it. And I was contacted by a very good friend who told me that Tony Robbins organization was looking for coaches, specifically male coaches, Mm -hmm. because as you know, the, yeah. the, the industry is kind of dominated by females, we're, which is we're okay. We're saturating this. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I pursued it. I, I enjoyed it. I got pretty good at it. Um, I got promoted to master coach. I got the opportunity over the next 16, 17 years and working as a coach with Robin's organization to work with Tony's elite clients, the what he refers to as platinum partners, the, the highest tier of, of customer within his, his uh, business. I had an opportunity to work in the training of new coaches that we got brought on. I got to mentor coaches who were in the program to help refine their skills. Um, I, I I got to do a whole lot of stuff that was all about serving my own personal mission. And I haven't shared that with you. I'd, I'd like yeah. to. 
to have as much fun possible helping make dreams come true. Can you say that again? Have as much fun possible helping make dreams come true. So two keys there for me. If it's not fun, I don't want to do it. If you know me, that probably fits, right? The second piece is is, I want to see people grow. I want to see people reach and, 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 and celebrate achievements, accomplishments, their goals, all of that kind of stuff. And whether it's my own family members or whether it's people I've just met, that to me is what brings great joy. And, and so all of the roles I got to fill in that, uh, in, in the capacity of the master coach allowed me to, to fulfill that personal mission on a daily basis. How cool is that? That's so cool. I, I hope listeners are over here being like, yeah, I see why he's the OG life coach Baker. Like I get it, <laughs> you know, um, working with some of one of the biggest names in personal development, his top elite people. What were some of the most common issues you heard? Cause I think that there's this perception that once you reach a level of quote unquote success, which a lot of people see as externally, once you reach a level of success, you have it all figured out. Yeah. So why would you need coaching? And I would love to hear what, and obviously without giving too many details. I, I don't have to go into details at all. <laughs> it's, it's a very general theme. What is that? Um, now, what you got to realize, these people, in order to become a platinum partner, they're paying anywhere from sixty to eighty thousand dollars a year just to be a part of a club. Mm-hmm. Okay, it is a high achiever who's in a position to be able to do that. Yeah, sound familiar, perfectionist? That's most of this audience. <laughs> the overarching theme for these clients was I've done X, Y, and Z. I've made so many millions of dollars. I've done this. I, I, I have achieved my life stream and I'm not happy. It was helping them realize that happiness doesn't come necessarily from those life achievements. It comes from fulfilling something deeper inside of oneself. What is, and, and that's why in my own personal mission, the very first thing is to have as much fun possible. If if I can't, for me personally, if I can't have that piece of it as part of the achievement, why do it? Yeah. So helping them find that achievement isn't the key to happiness. And and it, now here's where it would get into very individual pieces, helping them identify. So what does bring you happiness? What does bring you a level of joy, a level of of satisfaction, personal satisfaction, and helping them build that piece into, is it a part of what you're achieving on a regular basis? And if it's not, then let's find a way to make it happen. And so a lot of these folks would end up keeping their business and doing all the kinds of stuff that helped them finance, if you will, a different level of personal satisfaction, mm-hmm. a, a different source of achieving a personal joy. Yeah. And how cool is that? 
It's, it's amazing because so often the people I've seen through, through what I've worked through, who I've worked with is exactly the same issue. And they're not in Tony Robbins platinum partnerships, at least to my knowledge. And I just want to highlight this for people listening, because so often we think, like I said earlier, once you reach a level of success, you just got it figured out. You're happy. You're good. And that so is not the case. I call this the hamster wheel of achievement. If you're chasing achievement after achievement, after achievement, thinking the next one's going to make you happy. The next one's going to make you happy. Ooh, well, no, I'm behind. The next one's going to make me happy for sure this time. And it just never happens. It's such a common problem. And I think it's been exacerbated in recent years due to the flashiness of the society that we live in with social media, with, um, with a bunch of other stuff, but having this like, oh, I need to perceive this perfect life or perceive like I have it all together, but on the inside, I'm not fulfilled. I'm not joyous. Something else I want to highlight from what you talked about is that it's not universal. It's not a universal fix. It's, I always... What, what brings that full sense of fulfillment is not what's universal. Correct. Yeah. I always say personal development is personal. You have to lean into what makes you feel alive, not what the quote unquote, what you should be doing or what you should mm. make you feel alive, which for a lot of people is money, career success, um, milestones in life, like getting engaged or having a kid. Like there's just so many of these things where people think like, oh, then I'll be happy. And it's just, it's so not the case. So I really, I'm, I'm talking this to death because I really want people to hear that everyone on every level has this feeling. It's not when you reach a certain level of success that it just goes away. I agree. It, it, it is a, it, it seems to be a, a part of the human condition these days Mm -hmm. that we are taught that it's, it's, something that you you mentioned social media it emphasizes that the the proverbial conditional sense of achievement if when if i get this then i'll feel yeah and it doesn't have to be that way no it really doesn't this is obviously a podcast for perfectionism and really highlighting that did you see perfectionism come up with your clients at all? I mean, I think oh, achieving achievement after right. achievement is a form of perfectionism, but maybe in a little bit more of like a, uh, or a different way. Is there a different way you see perfectionism? Oh, it, 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 yes, I see. I, that That is absolutely, as a general rule, there are always exceptions. As a general rule, people who live their life for achievements. And that's different from high achievers who live their life to reach that next level of achievement. It's almost always an aspect of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. In, In the demographic I got to work with, it was a rare treat to be able to work with people. By the way, the the coaching became a part of their membership. So it wasn't like they bought that that annual membership as a platinum partner and then pursued coaching. So there were some people, very few, but some who were living a grand life. And I mean, a life of pure joy and 
living life at a very high level of achievement. They found a way to bring the two together. And it was so exciting to work with those folks because it was like they nailed it, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's like, I mean, that's kind of the, the work that at least I strive for, not only personally, but with my clients, it's like, you can still be a high achiever. I think that like people think that I, oh, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting heated. But I think that there's this common misconception that if you're an overachiever, you're burnt out, you're exhausted, you're chasing achievement after achievement. It's not making you happy. You go to therapy or coaching or mentorship, and they're going to make you slow down. Dun, dun, dun. Like it's terrible. It's terrifying. And there's this idea, well, if I slow down, I'm lazy. I won't be as productive. I won't be as worthy. I won't be the father, mother, son, daughter, whatever it is that I need to be. Like, there's just this idea of, I won't be enough if I slow down. And And, and that piece, that piece right there, there is an underlying belief that I have to achieve in order to the, if then belief that if, if I could wave the magic wand and say, change, it's that the, the, the the life of fulfillment doesn't come from the achievements themselves. It's it's the other aspect. It's mm-hmm. the other parts of life that with the achievements yeah. together is what brings us joy. And almost what I've seen is when people do start to lean into that inner fulfillment, they actually achieve more because yeah. they have more energy. They have more joy, more passion, more drive, more contribution energy, which is huge for achievers. Yeah. Like there's this whole level that they play on because their cup is so filled that it just constantly is overflowing. But when we're chasing achievement after achievement for other people or for this perception that we need to be a certain way, we're draining ourselves every single day or every single hour, really. Well, and let me build on that because absolutely what you just said, they're able to achieve more. What is it? How does it impact their relationships with others? Like a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if I look at it this way, if I have more energy at the end of the day, like after my work, if I've just had such a fulfilling, wonderful day, I have so much energy at the end of the day. Who do I pour that energy into? My partner, my family, my future dog that I'm hoping to get. Like, you know, it's just like, I think about like all these things that I can pour energy into and rather than being like, Oh, well then it drains me. No, it fills me up even more. And you know, it just, it, it just, it infuriates me that line of thinking where it's like, well, if I slow down, I won't achieve actually. And also what I've seen happen is when you slow down, get clear on what you actually want or what actually makes you happy. You cut out 80% of the bullshit. That's not making you happy. That's taking up so much of your time. That's mm-hmm. making you feel like you're living a frantic energy life yeah. and you achieve more because you're really focusing on that other 20% that really yeah. over like yeah. makes you overflow with joy. <sighs> Okay, I'm stepping off my horse for a second. <laughs> you know, it, and and the sad news is, if we look at the 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 broad spectrum of successful people, achievers, yeah. achievers only, who don't value the rest of the pursuit of fulfillment, mm-hmm. but are only going for those. The money, the titles, the how big of a house, whatever. And you 
look at their longevity. You look at the, the quality of their relationships to others. Um, it, 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 it hurts yeah. to, to watch what happens in the lives of those who are operating with the belief that it's the pursuit of the achievement that will bring me happiness rather than let me find a sense of fulfillment in my life. And it, it, it's, you know, whether it's through suicides or, or what, but y- you look at, well, I, I could go off into yeah. the, the whole moving away from aspect of, <laughs> of what it takes or what happens if the, the only pursuit is that pursuit of achievement. It, it, it's sad. It's, it's painful. Tony always says, is it success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure, Yes, which is one of my favorite quotes, hands down. And it's one that I actively need to think about every single day because, and you know, this being my father, my default is that chasing achievement, chasing the tide, like to kind of, you don't have to stop it, (laughs) but actively reminding myself like every single day, like, look, it is not about reaching the finish line. It is about finding gratitude, finding fulfillment in the moments. And like st- probably one of the smartest, most beneficial things I have ever done for my, my own personal development. And I want to ask you the same question is starting a gratitude practice is starting oh. to really get, get grateful for the things that are currently happening in my life to not only highlight in my brain, my, my brain that likes progress, right? Like not only to highlight, look how far you've come, like really be grateful for how much energy and like, mm-hmm. and blood, sweat, tears you've really put into this yeah. and look at the benefits you're reaping now. Yeah. Be grateful for these now, but it also helps me get present and really start to notice moments in my life with my partner, with my family, like that are like, wow, like I'm so lucky to have these go for it. I, I, what you're describing is something that I would frequently give as homework. And that is to begin a gratitude journal. (laughs) And, And my, my specific request was to find five things each day as, as a bare minimum to enter into this gratitude journal. I had one mentor who when when he began describing his gratitude journal and which uh, he he told of a situation that he'd been um, suffering from the flu mm. and had been in bed all day long and it t- came time to fill out a gratitude journal for the day and he got up out of bed in his sickened condition went to his kitchen and put a few dishes into the dishwasher, crawled back in bed and wrote that as one of his senses of, of the gratitude. It's like, I felt so good to be able to contribute. It, back to, back to high achievers and gratitude. It doesn't have to be big stuff. No, it little stuff some, is better in my opinion. Yes. yes. Well, especially as, as you begin the yeah. gratitude practice, find little things little things that otherwise would would escape your attention. And and the beauty of it is not only does it shift our thinking when we have written down 
to look back at our day and feel that sense of, of gratitude and fulfillment, it also begins to train the brain yeah. to look for things that we can be grateful for. And I, I think that's the real benefit of starting that gratitude practice. Begin a gratitude journal. If you don't do it already, do it today. Start today. I mean, even I've seen like even just three things right before you go to bed, writing it down on, I've, I've even had clients because they're like, oh, a journal. It's like, I always forget about it. And it's like, you always have your phone on you. Use your phone yes. notes yeah, app, like yeah. work with what's already working right now. And it's just, it, it takes so little time, so little effort. And I know when I was first starting one of the biggest, I'm going to put major air quotes, excuses I used to put on like not doing my gratitude practice was, Oh, I don't have the time. I need to do this other thing. And I, <laughs> what a sigh of dad disappointment. <laughs> not, not a disappointment, but what a common theme, you know, it's like, I don't have the time. Well, and it's so true. Cause that's like, for a while I was like, okay, like I want to do my visualization gratitude and I had priming practice basically right before work. And so often I'd like sit down at nine 15 or whatever and be like, you know, I really need to get those emails out or both. And it was like the sense of urgency. And then it kept throughout my entire day. And finally it was about like a year and a half ago. I finally had this moment of like, this is really important. This sitting down, getting still, getting into gratitude, getting into visualization is more important than an F and email. Do it. And when I started doing that, I realized my days actually never felt frantic. And, and I say never very black and white because it was never, they never felt frantic. And I got off the practice for a little bit, but I've started it about a month ago again. And it's like, I'm noticing a difference every day yeah. and it yeah. really changes. I, I would also suspect and this I found to be true, not only in my own personal experience, but in working with others, that not only does it make the day flow easier, but think for a second, and, and anyone listening to this, think for a second. If you go to bed and you're lying in bed and you're thinking of all the things that have to be done, blah, 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 you know, it's like a to-do list and, and, and actions, actions, actions. And contrast that, if you will, to going to sleep after having thought, look at what I did today. Look at how I felt today. Look at the difference I made with people who are important for me today. If you contrasted those two experiences right before going to bed, what gives you a better night's sleep? Hmm. Something to think Tricky about. question. If you've been listening to the show, or if you're just a living, breathing person in the 21st century, odds are that you're a perfectionist. But did you know that there are three different types of perfectionism? After working with perfectionists for the past two years and being one myself for uh, longer than that, I would have to be an ostrich with my head stuck deep in the sand to not realize that there are different styles of perfectionism, each one with their own self-sabotaging patterns. To find out which perfectionist type you are, plus learn helpful next steps that will get you out of those patterns of self-destruction, take the free quiz by following the link in the show notes or by going to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash quiz. Now on to the episode. I, I want to ask you, what are some elements or what are some practices in your life that you've cultivated that you've had habitually that have 
helped you? Like what are like, I mean, like a gratitude practice or something like that. Is there anything in your life that you've done continually or did for a chunk of time or a chapter in your life that really, really helped? How long have we got? Infinite um, time. <laughs> I I would say, first of all, if you don't have a personal mission, vision, and I, I think of the two as the, two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that right now, get one. Yeah. Having that as a a way to guide my life brought me the greatest sense of, of purpose, brought me a greatest sense of meaning. And so that to me is number one. Yeah. Get yourself a personal vision, mission, whatever you want to refer to it as. There's can, I, an, can I even expand on that? Oh, please. One of the things that I did when I created my personal mission at Date with Destiny, I believe it was, was I made it the background of my phone. And for the past, I don't know, when did we do date with Destiny? December 1919, December 2019, I think. So for the past year and a half, it's been the background of my phone. And now it's just kind of background. I don't really see it. But whenever I do really lock in, it's like, oh, yeah, that's it. Having it somewhere where it's constantly in my vision is amazing. uh, Beautiful. Excellent. And (laughs) I put mine on my business card. So when I handed that card out to others, they saw what I was about. That's cool. I like that. Generated a lot of questions also. Uh, Okay. So personal mission, vision, number one. Secondly, um, and this was much more so as um, when I was involved, for those who don't know, I... Uh, I retired in the December of 2020. So I'm now almost a year and a half into retirement. But in the midst of my work, I had an incantation that I used, a mantra, whatever you want to refer to it as. But I had something that I purposely would repeat as a way to get me centered and ready to serve. And that not only provided me with that moment of silence, that um, free of outside distractions, like like a meditative um, phrase or statement, but it also kind of woo-woo, but it helped me access the internal resources that I felt I need in order to be of the greatest service. So do you remember it off the top of your head? I was afraid you were going to ask. <laughs> I, I can remember bits and pieces, but it, it, the, the essence of it has to do with being able to access the resources, knowledge and strength in order to serve the wants, needs, and desires of those I come in contact with. Um, yeah. So, I think that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I repeated it for almost 16 years. You'd think I'd be able to recall it. That just shows how tired you are. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Uh, okay. So those are two things that from a 
a career or a, a, a professional sense that I have practiced. Mm-hmm. On a personal note, I took a lesson from Tony, Tony Robbins. Um, back in approximately 1990, 90, early 90s, I attended my first date with Destiny. And if you're not familiar with that program, it, it, it's, it's a really kick-ass program. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Um, one of the best personal growth programs I have ever been involved with, regardless of who the presenter was. But um, as a part of it, we go through your personal values and what Tony refers to as rules, how you know when those values are being met. And I took a lesson from him when he talked about putting um, energy Vital, vital energy was the, was the phrase he used as his number one value. And the principle, the idea behind it is if he didn't have the energy, and if you've ever seen the man on a YouTube video or any place, he comes with you with loaded guns and, and <laughs> gives you everything, okay? Um, so there's a lot of expenditure of energy. But if without that energy, he isn't capable of achieving the goals he's got in his life. So it's most important to him. It's number one. Mm-hmm. So I kind of adopted that. And running um, a, a, a weekly practice, I run about five times a week. And um, in, in beautiful Colorado weather, I'll do a hundred miles or so in a, in a given month, which it sounds like a lot, but if you break it down, it's, it's, it's basically <laughs> somewhere between three to five miles a day. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's a way for me to access that source of energy. So from an internal standpoint, personal mission, from an ability to serve, an incantation was my practice to be able to serve, to be able to have the energy. It was my, my, my physical activity. I choose running. That's what brings me the greatest sense of joy. Those are three practices that I, I felt were critical to being successful in serving others. I want to round out that conversation with what were some times in your life where you felt like perfectionist showed up perfectionism showed up for you? Cause I love you. You're not perfect. And, <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious. Cause you know, especially, yeah. No, uh, I, I, yeah, I got it. Yes. I, <laughs> I love um, you. <laughs> I'm in graduate school. So we're talking late seventies, uh, a part of finishing my doctorate is completing a dissertation, a freaking book. Mm-hmm. Literally. <laughs> Literally. I had the belief, and, and, and by the way, I was putting that off forever. I, I was what was referred to as ABD, all but dissertation. In the pursuit of my doctorate, I'd completed all the coursework, my internship, I'd done my... my uh, uh, 
um, final exams, the comprehensive over the entire graduate period. I had done everything but completed my dissertation. I hadn't even submitted my draft for my dissertation, which was the first step. And a friend, a, a very, very dear friend, pulled me aside and said, what's going on? Yeah. It's got to be perfect. And he laughed. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 no. That's not your job. That's the committee, the group of faculty members who were serving me as the uh, review committee for my dissertation. That's their job yeah. to make what you submit to them perfect. And it's like, what? It, it, it's like so foreign to me. He goes, no, you submit your work. Let them make sure all the I's are dotted, the periods are in the right place, and all of that kind of stuff. The grammatical pieces of it were the most challenging. I, I don't think of myself as a writer. And so writing was the biggest challenge. Writing it correctly mm -hmm. was the biggest challenge. So as soon as I adopted that belief that it's like, I don't have to have something submitted that's perfect. Let me just get the, the gist in. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. In six months, I was done. We talk about this a lot on the podcast and especially with my one-on-one my -on -one clients. It's this idea of first draft. A lot of times perfectionists, just like in that scenario, feel like the first draft has to be immaculate. It has to be like Picasso level of expertise. And when we put that pressure on anything, it's going to overwhelm our brain. It's going to say, mm, no, no, thank you. So I, I want to really highlight this for people. It's like, give yourself a first draft period. You're allowed yeah. to have a first draft. You know, th that's what we hire editors for. Yes. You know, submit a first draft. Submit to our PR marketing sister for <laughs> Exactly. Our, our in-house editor, right? It's like, you know, most likely the person who's sitting down to do that piece of work is the one who is the creative mind. Get that creativity on paper. Let someone else massage it and make sure that grammatic grammar is correct. Punctual, punctuation is correct. All of that kind of stuff. If that's what you're concerned with, you lose access to the creative mind. Yep. Those are two different hemispheres of our brain. Yep. Your job as the creator of content is to access the creative part. Mic drop. That's good. <laughs> I always ask these two questions to anyone on the podcast. And that is number one, how did you get in your own way this week? Or how were you imperfect this week? And number two, what is a small goal that we get to celebrate with you? I know you're retired, but I know you still have goals. So yeah. How did I get in my way? How are you imperfect this week? Is another way of putting it. My comments earlier about being a runner. I had, in the course of a Colorado winter, with snow and wind and yuckiness outside, I had 
minimized the value I get from that activity. And as a result of minimizing the, the, the benefit I get from it, as you can imagine, the practice of running began to reduce. It, it is like rather than going out three, four, five times uh, a week through the course of a winter, if I got out once or twice, w- once in a week, it was considered success. Getting back into the practice of running was a challenge for me. And what I mean by a challenge, it did not bring me initially, and, and we're talking about two, three weeks ago, did not bring me the, the, the sense of joy that running usually does. And um, so two things in respect to that practice, forcing myself to get out even on days I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Second piece extending my runs beyond what was comfortable. First time I ran four miles rather than three, for example, which doesn't sound to be that big of a difference, but it's it's bigger here than it is in my body. Um, I just did that for the first time last week. And this week I've, I've run four miles twice. And it, it, it's like pushing myself. Even if it doesn't feel comfortable, that's a way that I've, I've I've expanded that practice beyond what I would have allowed myself otherwise. I want to touch on that real quick because there's this huge buzz movement going on right now around like, if it doesn't feel comfortable, don't do it. Or like, don't push yourself past your limits. And it's kind of like, I think that there is definitely some merit to that conversation. I think it's been exacerbated a little bit. So I want to hear your your personal why behind doing that so that people can get it in their head that it's it's an option on the table and here's why. There's a, a common phrase that growth occurs just outside your comfort yep. zone. Um, and my philosophy, personal philosophy about it is and, and I'll put it in the context of running because I, I think that's a beautiful metaphor in, 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 the, in this uh, context. As long as it doesn't do physical damage to my body, push yourself. Mm-hmm. And I've run times when I've done something stupid and, and my, my knee gets yeah. damaged or a few years ago, it was my foot. And uh, going back even further, it was a stress fracture. And, you know, those kinds of injuries occur from overuse, from going beyond, I I don't want to say beyond comfort, but beyond pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my mind, there's a difference between discomfort and pain. Pain in and of itself is not a bad thing. It just tells us it's, it's a reminder that I'm outside of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I'm back to my sensory acuity comment a few moments ago. So what is the source of that pain? And is it something that I need to attend to 
or is it something that I can appreciate as a way to recognize and celebrate I'm outside of my comfort zone? And that sensory difference, that recognition is really critical. And unfortunately, sometimes it just comes from experience. Yeah, totally. I think also a lot of the times what I do, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, I'm still mastering it is like, get out of my head and get into my body. And like, rather than trying to think my way into, is this smart or is this me being my perfectionism kind of coming out? Right. Like, which one is this? And when I get out of my head and into my body, I'm really able to listen to my body being like, Ooh, you know what? Like, yeah, you're a little mentally tired, but like, I think that going this extra mile would make you feel more exhilarated and more proud. And like, you can really push past the limits of your mind, so on and so forth. Or, you know what, your knee's kind of hurting right now. Doing that, capping it at two is going to be a perfect end to your day. And you're being an intelligent runner. I talk about this a lot of the times in goal setting, being an, being an intelligent goal getter or an intelligent goal yeah. smasher is what we call it in, in the goal smasher course. Like when you're an intelligent goal smasher, you go outside of your comfort zone, you go outside of your limits, but when it hurts, like your foot has plantar fasciitis you stop. Been there, done that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what an intelligent runner would do or an intelligent goal setter. So I think that's, that's always really important to kind of frame it in that mind. Cause then you're accessing an entirely different part of your brain rather than, is it this or is this like the stress part, you know? Yep. Exactly. That was the answer to the first question. What was the second one? The second question is what is a small goal we can celebrate with you this week? What's a small goal you've achieved? Oh, that I have achieved. Yes. Uh, or that you've taken steps towards achieving. I think that's both. Well, I, 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 I kind of alluded to it. Getting four miles in twice this week, that, that was pretty freaking cool. You know, mm. um, my ultimate goal is to be back up into my 100 or so miles per month. But I've got to start expanding those daily runs past that comfortable three miles out and back that I've, yeah. you know, it's got, you can do that in my sleep kind of thing. And um, that hitting it twice this week, I'm, I, I intend to do it one more time before the week is over. So that, that's, that's something that everyone, I I'm back to my, my coaching clients that felt like, you know, in order to be, added to my gratitude journal items, it's got to be something really big. Four miles a week, three days a week, three, four miles a run, three days a week is not a huge accomplishment, but it's a critical step to where I need to get to. And if I can't celebrate that, achieving that critical step, then I'm, I'm stumped. I'm speaking of gratitude. I'm unbelievably grateful for you and this, not only this conversation, but your guidance, your teachings, your coachings for those who don't know the moment my life changed on this trajectory was when I called you at school said, Hey, well, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) but something along the lines of I'm being told I need to leave unless I pull a miracle out of my butt, I need, 
I need coaching now, basically. And you no holds barred coached, coached me for a long time. And it started this trajectory of my life, really understanding the power that the mind has over everything we do. And it was from that moment that I knew I wanted to be a coach. And I'm just, you're, you're the reason I'm sitting here today. And I'm just very grateful for you. Thank you. I love you. I love you too, huh? Any last little bits or bobs, dad, before we say sayonara? You know, if, if there's anything that I would suggest to people who are frustrated, who are anxious, angry, it would be listen to that inner voice to the questions or statements that are repeating constantly in your head. And specifically ask yourself, are they serving you? And if they're not, maybe it's time to change that question or statement to something that does. And if you can't do it on your own, get yourself somebody to help. Yes. That's that's the beauty of coaching. That really is. That's the beauty of coaching. We are as coaches, we are resources, we are accountability partners, we are the uh, the, the the fence pole that holds you accountable to what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And if not, ask why. Yeah. What's preventing it? So check those questions and statements. What we repeatedly say to ourselves is what guides us and and, and leads us in the direction that we're headed. So pay attention. Yeah. You listening with that. It's never enough. I'm never enough. I need to, I'm behind. If I stop, I'm lazy. Those are the questions or the statements my dad's talking about. They're powerful. They're really powerful. Not in a good way. Not in a good way. Indeed. Thanks dad. You're welcome. I'll talk about, I don't know how to sign off with you. This is weird. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. My joy. That makes me so happy. You all, I hope you had so many good aha moments in this episode like I did. Primarily the stuff about high achievers and perfectionism at any level, really and truly, it just affects so many people. So you are not alone, my friends. I hope you all got some really, really, really great nuggets out of that episode. Thank you again, Dad, for being on the show. It's so fun always to talk to you about this part of your life because you all, for for you don't know who, if you don't know him, he's very humble. Very, very humble. I had to like pry a lot of this information out of him when I was starting, like really starting in the coaching world. I was like, wait, you did what? You did what? That's so cool. So what a wonderful human. I'm so incredibly grateful to be his daughter and to be in his space in general. 
As a quick reminder, as we wrap up this episode, Unsubscribing from Perfectionism, my mini course about how to overcome perfectionism 101, it is out and live and it's based off your perfectionist type. The reason I did this is because overcoming perfectionism looks different for all of us, depending on which of the type we tend to live more in. Now, if you're like me and you like to live in each of the types from time to time, I really recommend bundling them all together. That is $19 for the package. It's $7 for each individual course. You can learn more about it at lifecoachbaker.com forward slash perfectionism. And again, the people who have already gotten it, you guys are amazing. I'm hearing amazing things from you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you all have an amazing, amazing evening or day or morning, whatever time you're listening to this. And I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Life Coach Baker podcast. Don't forget to go take the free quiz and find out what perfectionist type you are by visiting the link in the show notes or by going to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash quiz. Also take a moment to rate the podcast and write a review. It is the best way to get the word out there. Plus you'll get the chance of having your review read on the show until next time. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.